AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Some legends are just too mysterious to die off completely. Books are still written about the Lindbergh baby, the Zodiac Killer, and infamous thief and airplane hijacker D.B. Cooper. Details are scarce or, in some cases, disregarded in favor of alternative theories that present claims of supernatural involvement, secret societies, or other bizarre solutions to unanswered questions. One such case has bewildered the world for decades. It has all the components for an enduring legend, a renowned newsmaker, a grand test of endurance, and a suspicious disappearance. In September of 1943, British Colonial Service Officer Gerald Gallagher moved to a patch of land in the Pacific called Gardner Island. He'd been put in charge of establishing a new settlement on behalf of the British Empire. During his stay, Gallagher's men uncovered a strange collection of bones, as well as a human skull, a shoe, an empty bottle, and a box. Gallagher sent a telegram to a fellow officer explaining the discovery, as he believed he'd stumbled onto something, or someone, actually, that was important. He was told to keep his findings to himself, though, and tell no one else but to send the bones to British officials for analysis. It was a Dr. Lindsay Isaac who conducted the examination and determined the remains belonged to a Polynesian male, not the famous person Gallagher had believed it to be. The bones were then shipped off to Fiji where they were analyzed once again, this time by one Dr. D.W. Hoodless, who had undergone no training in forensic science. Dr. Hoodless's results fell in line with Dr. Isaac's, and so the bones were locked away, the story all but forgotten. And it should have ended there. But over the years, others in the field of medical forensics took issue with both doctors' results. In 1997, scientists sought to retest the skeleton. Rumors had swirled for decades as to its real identity, and now science had caught up enough to provide a definitive answer. There was only one problem. The bones had disappeared. No one had any clue where they'd gone. But they did have Dr. Isaac's and Dr. Hoodless's notes. Combining them with modern forensic practices, the scientists were able to deduce several details that conflicted with the original results. First, the skeleton most likely belonged to a white female, not a Polynesian male. Secondly, the person had been somewhere between 5 foot 5 and 5 foot 9 inches in height. But without the bones themselves, it was impossible to say for sure who they might have belonged to. Scientists, though, have their suspicions. Officer Gallagher did, too. In fact, people had been looking for them since June of 1937. 
That was the month that the United States Coast Guard and Navy spent four weeks scouring the Pacific Ocean for evidence. A wing, a body, a pair of goggles, or perhaps the one item that had rested in the box that Officer Gallagher had actually found. A sextant. While the jury is still out as to who was found on Gardner Island in 1943, evidence points to a famous explorer one who has been the subject of countless books and conspiracy theories. From crashing and sinking to the bottom of the ocean, to being captured by the Japanese during World War II, everyone seems to think they know what really happened. But to Officer Gallagher and the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, or TIGER as it's known, it's entirely possible that the bones found on Gardner Island belong to a veritable legend the remarkable Amelia Earhart. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Memento Mori. It's Latin for, remember, you will die. And it has become a mantra for thrill-seekers and entrepreneurs to remind them to live life to the fullest. We have a limited number of years on this planet, after all, so we must make the most of them. 
Some people repeat the phrase in their daily life, almost like a kind of mantra. Others carry a token with them, a tangible reminder that hardens the concept into something real. Such tokens were common throughout history and were often fastened into jewelry to be worn by the mindful and the grieving. A ring with an ornate skull design might have been worn by a mournful widow to honor her late husband. A daughter might have gone about her life with a photo of her deceased mother in a locket around her neck. One of the most famous mementos ever created, though, bears the last remaining vestige of an American icon. Born in Virginia in 1732, George Washington is best known as a Revolutionary War general and, of course, being the first president of the United States. But he was also a devoted husband and friend. He began courting Martha Custis in 1758, traveling over 30 miles on horseback to spend time with her. Both parties were independently wealthy, attractive, and ranked high on the social ladder. They fell in love almost immediately and married one year later. Contrary to popular practices at the time, Martha didn't have her husband sign a prenuptial agreement to protect her assets from a previous marriage. They had found in each other someone to love and trust without question. Though he had no children of his own, Washington happily helped raise Martha's son and daughter from her first marriage. They lived a happy life, with George turning their modest farmhouse at Mount Vernon into an 11,000-square-foot estate. When he traveled, George left the home in Martha's care, and even though she was glad for the independence, she also missed him terribly. She would occasionally visit him during the Revolution at his winter encampments, greeting soldiers along the way and acting like a beacon of light in the middle of a dark and depressing time. Her effect on the troops was no doubt felt throughout the war, and her presence may have helped motivate her husband to succeed. Being apart for so long weighed heavily upon their hearts. After the war, George was elected the first president of the United States, and moved the family to New York and then Philadelphia, the temporary capitals of the newly formed nation. They embraced their new roles, and it was during George's second term when he met another important person in his life, his friend and confidant, Tobias Lear. Lear had tutored the Washington's children and worked his way up within the family, from becoming the president's clerk to his eventual business partner. They shared meals, stories, and grew to be more like brothers than colleagues, and Lear remained in touch with his dear friend long after Washington retired back to Mount Vernon. Of course, that's where George and Martha spent their final years, entertaining their grandchildren and hosting parties for American elites. Through distance and war and politics, the Washingtons had emerged more in love than ever before. Sadly, their love would not be enough to endure George's stubbornness. In December of 1799, he set out on horseback to inspect his land in the middle of a snowstorm. He returned to the house for dinner later that night, where Martha and several guests had been waiting. Not wanting to keep them from their meals any longer, he remained in his cold, wet clothes while he ate. The next day, George complained of a sore throat, but continued his survey of the farm in the freezing weather. That sore throat turned into a chest cold. And 24 hours later, George Washington had died in his bed at Mount Vernon. By his side were Martha and longtime friend, Tobias Lear. Washington was buried four days later. 
He'd secretly given Lear an order to wait so he would not be accidentally entombed alive, a common fear in that era. Lear obliged out of a deep love and respect for the man who had taken him under his wing. However, Washington had also given his friends something else, a memento of their friendship and a tribute to his meaning to the family. It was a brooch. Composed of beveled glass and adorned with rubies along the top, it bore the words, Token of My Friendship, in French. And entwined beneath that beveled glass were two locks of hair, one belonging to George and the other to Martha. Their life together was one of passion and undying affection. Even in death, the two refused to remain apart. Not only were they entombed together within the Mount Vernon mausoleum, but their hair, the last evidence of their corporeal existence, was preserved as a reminder to Tobias Lear that life was to be lived as though every day might be your last, and if possible, to do it with your loved ones by your side. Oh, and if you go out in the cold, wear a hat. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.